Okay, so my original thought was I was going to start this one out with that uh, special, you know, boom, boom, mm. and then do our thing to signify it's a special edition. Um, then I read it, and yeah, yeah. fuck no. Uh, before we get going, hi, I am Jim, he is Clarkson, we are the Film Thugs, mm-hmm. and uh, this show is very different. It began with an idea that we thought was going to go one way, and then very quickly went the other. Now, um, we have been teasing this to hell and back, so we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, this week and next week, and who knows if it'll be another week after that, we are going to do something kind of bold, audacious, and almost fucking historical, um, if we wish to be grandiose. Um, and we do. Yes. I'm not certain if those of you, how many of, of those of you out there are familiar with what is the, arguably the most infamous slash famous not unreleased movie of all time. It is a little film called The Day the Clown Cried, mm-hmm. directed by Jerry Lewis, um, uh, written by assholes. <laughs> Joan um, O'Brien and Charles Denton. Yes. With additional, additional material by Jerry Lewis. Yes. That's all it says here in additional our script. Additional materials. Additional material by Jerry Lewis. Now, I have to warn that I... I have a, a deep temptation to just let it all out at once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to. We're gonna That's just, all I'm going to say about this is for now. For, yeah. and, we will, and we will address this entire thing. I think I'm going to. Additional before, material bef- by Trey Before we get going, there is a piece from Roger Ebert that I need to read here. Okay. I'm going to quote where the title of this book came from and uh, from his review of the movie North. And I feel that this applies entirely to what we are about to read to you. Okay. I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. Hated the sensibility that thought anyone would like it. Hated the implied insult to the audience by its belief that anyone would be entertained by it. That, I think, sums this up pretty well. And you can add at the end of entertained, moved, Moved, affected, affected, touched. Yeah. Anything, anything other than, other than horrified, angry, perplexed, vexed. Yes, yes, all those things. Huh? Um, before we go on and begin the actual reading of this, it is very important to state uh, we will not be addressing any sponsors at all in this. You no. guys know what we do, and no sponsorship is connected to this show at all. No money will be made off of this show, no. period. The following performance of this material is presented in a satirical manner as a work of parody that is intended for both critical and educational purposes. Therefore, we are entirely in compliance with U.S. fair use laws. So we are not violating any copyright. We are presenting this material in a transformative manner by way of parody so that we might be cast a critical eye on this film, discuss how and why it happened, why thankfully it's never been released, and kind of educate as to uh, why? what the fuck, Give Ms. you Lewis? a better idea as to just why it wasn't released. Mm-hmm. Beyond yes. maybe the popular narrative given yeah. by the filmmakers. Right. So, uh, God, I'm, I'm really dreading the, uh, the, the, the opening of this fucking thing. Uh, this might take a while for us to read. We are going to, as we read, give our commentary on it. The reason that we have called this historic is what we are doing right now might constitute the only 
complete performance of this material that has ever been released. Oh, yeah. Yes. The the film exists. I believe there's one copy of it that has been screened once. Harry Shearer saw it and said it's pretty much everything everything we're going to say about it. Yeah. But um, that being said, you will finally, at long last, get the answer to who is Dork. Dork. Uh, are we ready to begin? We are ready. All right. Who wishes to... Uh, to take the uh, I will start <laughs> off fucking lead on. Oh God! Off the bat, before you even read it, the next on the nose bit of bullshit you're about to fire out here sums up everything that's wrong with this fucking movie. Oh, and by the way, we are not insulting the subject matter at all. We are the reason we're doing this is because it is this film is so insulting to that subject matter. Yes. So that is the only reason this is happening, is to take on the asshole that thought this was a fucking appropriate thing to write. Absolutely. And before we get started on that, my wife had a breakdown when she found this script in our home. Yeah. She read the last uh, scene and was absolutely in tears. When I, yeah. I, I mean, I hit the door uh-huh. and said, ha- yeah. I'm about to say, how was your day? And I get tear-filled. You're not going to do this, are you? Which, You're not going to make fun of this, are you? Like, Am no, I going to make fun of this creation? Yes. Yeah. Am I going to make fun of what this is about? Of course not. Absolutely not. not. We're going to talk about the asshole that thought people would like this. Yes. So, So. uh, and by the way, I think having read it all, that reaction gives this movie, that being in tears gives this movie far more credit than it deserves. It does. She was just shocked. Yeah. 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 All right. The Day the Clown Cried by Joan O'Brien and Charles Denton, based on a story idea by Joan O'Brien, with additional material provided by Jerry Lewis. I took a child by the hand to lead him on his way. I told him of the love of God and taught him how to pray. And as I searched for better ways, his guide and help to be, I found as, he, as we walked hand in hand that he was leading me. The day the clown cried. Cold open. <clears throat> Shall we just dive in? Okay. Exterior. Paris Circus Night. The normal activity and excitement of showtime around the circus is in evidence where we see the half-dark street and alley directly adjacent to the circus tent, which in Paris is an enclosure. The animals, the midgets, the people. Pause. The midgets and the people? And the people. That that right there kind of hits the level of sensitivity we're dealing with here. Right. I continue. The robustness, the roustabouts moving with a fixed speed and getting faster, as we now know showtime is momentarily due. We move toward the action, slowly, but de- but de- definitely picking up sounds and actions of the busy people as we go. Straight cut to exterior, circus, front of circus, people entering, night. We see barkers, children, people pushing, buying tickets, hats, candy, sounds of children laughing, music playing from off screen within the tent area, and we cut to exterior, back of circus night, a continuation of the animals, trainers, clowns, intercut with the action of the circus customers jamming the entranceway to get in, complemented cuts from backstage to out front, building to the final crescendo as we see the alley empty and clear out versus the front area clearing out and also becoming empty. Dissolve to interior, circus proper, night. The fully dressed orchestra playing the oncoming people to their respective seats as we pan along the happy faces and excited children down the back within the circus, backstage, and slowly come to a stop outside Clown Alley. Clown Alley, 
night, the heartbeat of any circus, the long row of unkempt yet beautifully neat trunks where the clowns make up, and, sorry, with many of the clowns just coming in and setting their clothes and things around their own little areas, midgets running and playing like the little children they are about to entertain. Music is in the deep background as we come to a stop at the large, at a, the large trunk with the letters clearly printed, Gustav, Europe's premier clown. We pull back and away from the lettering on the trunk and reveal the face of a gentle but drawn man, a man whose body and movements indicate that he has been at this for a long time. As he sits, the little midgets run closer to see what they can do to help. One pulls the chair for him to sit on. Another brings a hot cup of coffee. Another takes his coat and hangs it and hangs it hangs it on the hat tree adjacent to his trunk. As we push past him to introduce the other clowns, some half made up, others finishing their makeup, and some just sitting and rapping together, smoking, drinking coffee, waiting for showtime. And in the very distant background, almost against the wall of Clown Alley, we see the trunk and body of a quote unquote clown. In silhouette, we crawl towards the body and the trunk and come to a stop, holding full frame. The clown, already made up and dressed in his tramp outfit, has his head in his hands, leaning down on the trunk tabletop, a depressed and sad-looking hulk of a man, an off-screen voice. Coffee? It's nice and hot. I almost did a fucking Hervé Villachez voice there. There's that part of me that was like, Coffee is nice and hot. But that, that honestly, by the end of it, I was like, nope. No. Not doing it. No. The midget slides the cup in front of the clown's face as he picks up his head and smiles and nods yes. He sips the coffee, and we get to see the clown is Helmet Dork. Spelled D-O-R-Q-U-E. In this instance only. From this point on, it is spelled D-O-O-R-K. Yes. He is depressed and very he is a depressed and very unhappy clown. The frown on his face shows years of knocking around, plus fear that some year that fear that those years are now over. From OS, from off screen, we hear the sound of a small air horn being blown and carried by one of the midgets. He is yelling through an old megaphone. Fifteen minutes to circus. Fifteen minutes to circus. Upon hearing this, Clown Alley gets busy. All the clowns get up and put their last-minute touches together, touching up their makeup, getting their coats and props together, and as, the, and as they get themselves up and ready, they exit the clown alley area and start for the arena. The last one to go is Helmut, lingering behind intentionally as we cut to interior circus arena, close-up of Ringmaster, night. Ladies and gentlemen, we proudly present... The Clowns. Really, a lot of build to the worst fucking intro ever. Yeah. And now them. Yes. Welcome to it. <laughs> um, interior, Clown Alley night. Helmet hangs back until the very last clown exits Clown Alley as we cut to interior, circus, proper night. The music is really going strong, and the clowns come in like all 40. They explode in the ring, doing all their bits and pieces, which ultimately brings them back to the entrance area. They had just come out of, they had just come from, and they make the West Point Arch for the timpani drum roll and the grand entrance of Gustav the Great. Closer shot. Gustav makes his famous comedy walk. Don't know what the fuck that means. Famous. Uh, Famous, famous though, yeah. 
into the tent. And by the way, this is going to be the most levity you hear. We, I almost want to, at this point, let loose with some levity because there's, we're at the innocuous shit right now. Yeah, this all, it's all fine yeah. right now. Yes. Um, the, he walks into the tent with the longest pair of tails ever seen, at least 75 feet long. And at the end, holding them from dragging on the floor is Helmut, the tramp clown. Wider shot. We see Gustav taking the applause, and it is tremendous. He stops in the center of the ring, but Helmut keeps walking and doesn't see the post in front of him as he walks around the post still holding the tails and goes on his butt, pulling Gustav down as well. The audience screams with laughter, believing this to be part of the show, as we dissolve to interior clown alley night. Okay, at this point, there needs to be some sort of reaction to show. No, it's not part of the fucking show, because we don't know that. It might have just... We need some look from Gustav. We need something, something to, yeah. All the clowns are sitting around their respective trunks, and there is a sense of gloom permeating the air as Gustav and Mr. Schmidt pace back and forth behind Helmet, both going at him unmercifully. Not to mention how unprofessional that was. But it was an accident. Oh, sure it was. A very well-planned and calculated accident. I swear to you, it was an accident. Gustav stops and grabs Schmidt's arm with a threatening pointing finger. I don't want to hear any more. You will get me in as a stooge. I do not want this man. Don't get excited, Gustav. You shall have it. You bet I will, or you will have no, or you shall have no show. First off, a lot of fucking shells getting thrown around there. Yeah. You shall have it, or you shall have no show. <laughs> okay. By the Air Force Web. Yes. Bye, bye, blah, 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 blah. Gustav walks away, sits on his trunk, starts put it, taking off his makeup. Schmidt, moving to Helmut's trunk, leaning over into Helmut's ear. You will run with the clowns, and that is all you will do. Is that clear? Helmut, shattered, nods his head yes. Continuing. And if there is another one of your cute tricks, I promise you will do your bits for the cats while cleaning their cages. Schmidt walks away, leaving Helmut stunned and shocked. Helmet lifts his trunk cover, which opens on a hinge and stays upright as we slowly crab around to reveal the one sheets glued to the inside of the trunk lid. As Helmet reaches for a towel to clean his face, we read, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey present the world's great greatest clown, Helmet. From Helmet from Germany. The one-sheets are battered and torn and certainly appear to be many years old. As we pan the lid to see them all, Helmut's face is reflected in the mirror as we see the tears rolling down his face. As we freeze frame, music hits for the main title, The Day the Clown Cries. So, okay, here, here's what we've got. I'm, I'm going to write my notes. So our setup, our act fucking one, immediate first five-page setup is Broken Man. Yeah. Broken man with no power. Therefore, my assumption is at this point, this is a movie about how he's going to find his strength to stand up for himself. Some redemption. Some level of redemption. That is is what the basic stated theme right off the of, bat. of once great clown or once great man who finds his way in the world again. Exactly. Yeah. Way to make a difference. That's what it feels like. No. Follow, following the credits. Exterior, deserted street and bistro night. Helmet dejected and sad as any man could be, strolls down the deserted street alone. Interior, bistro. He comes to a small bistro and walks in and stands at the bar. Klaus, give me a double whiskey and a beer chaser. Klaus, who knows him? You know, you won't find funny out, you won't get funny out of a bottle. Helmet. And you won't make a dime sticking your nose in other people's business. 
Klaus pours the whiskey and places the beer next to it. As Helmet gulps the drink down and chases it with the beer from the bottle, we straight cut to interior, the apartment, night. Standing at the window, looking out is a beautiful woman, simply dressed, no makeup, and clean. She has the look of a woman who has just bathed, and one could almost smell the fragrance of bath oil on her body. She is tense and concerned. She sees something and moves towards the door and opens it. There is a beat, and finally the off-screen sound of feet scuffling to get to the door. It is Helmet, fairly crocked at this point. Ida, Ada. I don't think we need the names at this point. Nah. Helmet, darling, are you all right? Do I look like I'm not all right? What? Do I look like I'm not all right? Uh, okay. <laughs> I was worried about you. Your dinner is cold, and, and I couldn't imagine what happened to you. Were you really worried about me, or your stupid, get, or your stupid dinner was getting cold? Ada is hurt by this, but knows something is really chewing away at him, and deals with it even more tenderly which only digs deeper into Helmet. Sweetheart, I care about you. I, I love you. I worry about you. I can't help those feelings. During the above, Helmet is at the small bar in the living room, pouring another blast and gulps it down. He hears the words, but tries to ignore them. If there's anything I don't need right now, it's your super sentimentality. He flops down in the armchair and stares straight ahead. Again, Ada is hurt by, the, by this blasting her. But she's wise enough to know that this is not the man she loves. She has got to get what's eating him out of there. Helmet, what's tormenting your soul? Please let me help you. Talk to me. I don't care what it is. I love you. I'm your friend. You can trust me to understand. I can't trust anybody. I don't know how to trust anybody. I'm not anybody. I'm your wife. Helmet, hearing these words, looks up at her and sees the beauty in her eyes. And he is affected by this. He stands up takes her in his arms, almost breaking her in two. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my love. I'm so sorry. You're right. You're not anybody. You're my wife, and I love you too. So very much. I, I just have no one to fight back at. I'm lost and alone. I can't handle the disgrace of, of failure. The pain of being a has-been is more than I can bear. So we've got maybe a different arc coming in here. Mm -hmm. Ada knows what has happened. Schmidt again? Gustav again? When will they? When will you learn they fear you and they know how vulnerable you are now? If they can beat you down, then they needn't worry about you coming back to haunt them. They worry about me? Don't be ridiculous. They just took the last comic bit away from me because of a silly accident. I'm now down at the bottom, just a stooge assisting a no, not-so-funny clown. But they can't take your talent away. That's your strongest force, walking away from her, getting angry again. What the hell are you talking about? What talent? And if I had any, it's being suffocated into nothing. And that's just what I am now. Nothing. No one. Just empty. A prop to be used and misused. How does my great talent stand up to those odds? By not... By not quitting. I, you must fight. Creative survival is, is even more difficult. Than, hang on a second. Did I hit something? I Hold don't know. On. Did you? Because uh, suddenly my shit went all bassy. Hold on. Oh, wait. Is that it? Hello? 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 God damn it. Yeah, I, I hit something because my shit sounds all weird. But um, hold on there. Okay. Oh, I just, I just hit my volume. Oh, shit. there you go. My script hit my own volume. What an asshole this guy is. I ruined that flow. 
All right. <clears throat> go ahead and just read your – go back to give me that cue. Where the hell was I? Um, <laughs> how does my talent stand up? Uh, it's it's uh, the, the, no one, just empty. A prop to be used and misused. How does this? How does my great talent stand up to those odds? By not quitting, you must fight. Creative survival is even more difficult than human survival. You must fight. Helmet gets quiet and listens, and it makes sense. Ada knows she's got him now. Continuing, go to Schmidt. Force a confrontation. Don't let Gustav win. Make Schmidt see what an injustice. They are imposing on you. Please, my love, fight. Make your world better by fighting for it. You can do it. I know you can. Helmet hears it all, and it sounds so good and right. I will go now and see Schmidt. I will tell him I won't take any more degradation. I will tell him I am a clown, not a stooge. A clown. A special person. A special clown. Ada happily gets his hat, placing the hat on his head. Go, my love. Go and fight for what you know is right. I will warm your dinner and wait for you to come home. Okay. She kisses him and opens the door for him as he goes out. All right. All right. Oh, my. Goodness, yes. (laughs) uh, uh. Oh, I don't know if this person or persons Mm -hmm. writing or giving additional material to have ever been in a relationship with another human being. Uh, All I know is this is a bad Lifetime movie at this moment. Lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> this, this... this is some WGN Sunday night <laughs> shit. Starring Meredith Baxter Burney <laughs> as Ada. Anyway, yeah. Dissolve 2. And uh, fucking no doubt Eric Roberts as Helmet. Um, Dissolve 2, interior, the empty circus at night. The low-key light at, and the silence of the circus is almost ominous and a little frightening for Helmet as he walks across the empty arena with a small light burning from up on high. All of the equipment is tied off. Slight animal sounds in the deep background and the faintest sound of circus music is heard. Helmet is now center of the main ring and stops to look around. His POV, the empty stands. Close shot, Helmet. His face tense, then eases as he looks around. His POV, the stands are full, the lights come up, and the audience is standing, applauding thunderously. Medium close, Helmet. In his clown outfit, bowing and acknowledging the ovation. POV the audience as they stop applauding and sit down. Wide shot. Helmet, the chair, and trombone. The trombone pantomime. At the compl- as the completion of the trombone pantomime, Helmet walks away from his position, the position he was in with the trombone, and bows and milks the crowd for their reaction as he bows to the second time. The second time, we shimmer. Back to close on Helmet. In bowing position as he looks at the crowd. His POV, the empty stands. Close, helmet. His face shows signs of utter despair and dejection. The dream is gone, and the memory of what was really hurts deep down. He looks around, making sure he hasn't been noticed by anyone, and takes that deep sigh and strolls towards the back of the circus tent area on his way to find Schmidt. Wide angle. Truck with him. Holding the many empty seats in the background as he walks, trying to muster the courage he's going to have to call. Something that has now become totally foreign to him. High shot, the empty circus. We see Helmut as the tiny figure he feels like, walking out of the tent area and into the backstage section. Cut to 
backstage office area, night. Helmut enters the section of the circus where Schmidt has his temp office quarters. It is a tent-like arrangement with a canvas flap as his door, and we see light streaming from the half-open canvas flap. His POV, the tent office. Helmut looks and sees the shadow of a body moving around in the tent office area and starts for it. Interior, tent office night. Schmidt, pacing up and down, thinking, as we pull back to see Gustav, seated in one of the fold-up chairs with an I-am-waiting look on his face. Naturally, I agree with you. Dork is a nuisance, but to just let him go seems a little unfair. Schmidt, don't make me put this in an either him or me basis. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give him. Cut to outside office tent, helmet at night, listening. Schmidt, his two weeks' notice tomorrow. Will that satisfy you? Perfect. Let's have a drink. Helmet drops his head, completely discouraged and saddened by what he knows is a losing battle. As he starts to walk away, we can hear the tinkling of glasses and the slight laughter of the two men as we watch Helmet slowly scuff his way towards the backstage circus exit. As we dissolve, 12 foot, holding his walk over his limp body at the bar. So it's a a dissolve from him walking to him limp at the bar. Helmet has had more than a few and really looks beaten and shoddy. He waves to the bartender to bring another. Pouring another blast, Klaus, it's the, it's your funeral. A funeral is usually in order when someone dies. Up to now, we have no idea whatever as to the time in history we are... As the time in history, we are indeed in Germany, but as Helmet downs another blast, we slowly creep up our camera to include more of the bar than we have seen before, and it includes pictures, frames of sh- framed of soldiers, arms interlocking, looking somewhat like summer camp stills. The German flag, 1933 vintage, crisscrossed with the swastika. A large banner marked Deutschland, Uba Alice, and finally, the larger-than-life photograph of Hitler. Helmet slowly crosses camera as he takes another drink and starts spouting again. Hold on! Well, for those of you who didn't know, why, yes, indeed, this movie takes place in Nazi Germany. Yes. The first of, I'll call it, many horribly unpleasant surprises to come in this hilarious comedy. (sighs) Rump. Helmet. The trouble with man today is that he takes everything for granted. He thinks things he's told to think and accepts it. Just because we know meanings of words, we use them and we fool ourselves. People should use a dictionary more. Look up words like good, bad, honest, loyal, especially loyal. I know what loyal means, and I've always been that. But does anyone care? No, of course not. Only when it's expedient. Only when an ape... He slashes his throat with his finger. You're out. Helmet stops with his back to camera, looking straight at Hitler, and screams. And that goes for you too, mein Fuhrer. He shoves his right arm up and, an, uh, up and out at the photograph of Hitler. You too are a fool. You allow yourself to think you have loyal followers. <laughs> Wait until they've had it with you. You'll get yours. And all the smiling, bowing, heel-clicking idiots will shaft you too. And you will deserve it, because if you allow people like Herr Schmidt to go about his business of lying and cheating and being disloyal, one day all the Schmidts in Germany will turn on you and you will finish as 
dumb little corporal you started as, and you never know what hit you. During the above dialogue, two SS men, along with two Gestapo men, walk into the bar and sit at a table unseen by Helmet. As they sit, Helmet continues. He really has to be stupid. Indicating Hitler, I could help him by telling him about the people he thinks are good Germans. The two SS men and the two Gestapo men just happen to stop in the pub. They can't really believe what they're hearing. <laughs> none and, of us can. Yeah, none of us can, yeah. And the two SS men make a move to get up and secure Helmet. The head Gestapo man nods to them, nods them to st- nods to them to stay seated and wait and listen. Helmet continues his rave and gets more violent as he goes on. Klaus, the bartender, would love to tell him the Germans are there, but he chooses to go about his business. Helmet, because let's be honest, what did Helmet tell him earlier? You ain't going to get rich sticking your nose in someone else's That's business? Right. Yeah. And in this case, it would really fuck this dude up if he were to stay, uh, Ixnay on the Hitler Hay Ashing Bay, there are a Stompo Gay and SASAs behind you. <laughs> so, yes, he just fucking leaves in there. Helmet is really getting the effects of the booze now and is bordering on flipping his lid completely. <sighs> and now it gets stupid. He does this stagger routine, trying to get to the trying to get to the table on the other side of the bar, furthest away from the SS men and the Gestapo men are sitting. We play this for visual humor, but at the same time showing just how swacked he is. Helmet finally reaches Okay, first off, this is not this is a scene that if this film had its fucking head anywhere other than its ass, would be played for absolute maximum tension and total panic. Yeah. Unless we didn't see the SS men until the end of the stupidity that's about to happen. The fact that you showed them, it needs to be the bartender frantically fighting to look away. Other people in the bar turning their heads as a nothing to do with me. Yeah. This should be built. If they're playing it for humor, then we shouldn't see the SS men till the end. Right. But we do, so that changes the meaning of the fucking scene. It needs to be, oh, oh no, no, this needs to be the fucking answering machine message in Swingers. Yes. This needs to be, no, stop, stop. Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. No, 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 no. Uh, so, the hilarity in, 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 in it goes. Um, Helmet finally reaches the table he has been trying desperately to get to and falls onto it, exhausted and emotionally drained. He looks around at the few people who have been watching him, most of which are frightened at what he has said, trying vainly to stay out of it. Helmet catches the eyes of of the four men, SS and Gestapo, just looking at him. What are you staring at? Did you ever see a man drink before? The four men just stare at him with no answer. What's the matter? Haven't you guys got a sense of humor? You must have. Look how you're dressed. Grown men in their little soldier suits and the black coats and gloves. Like in a movie. Helmet gets up and walks over to their table, mumbling and staggering as he goes. Real cloak and dagger stuff. Didn't you Gestapo guys ever know that everybody can spot you a mile away? Leaning over and whispering. Listen, if you really wanted to be unnoticed, you should dress like plain people. Then nobody would know. You might even wear a straw hat and shorts. He hears this and gets hysterical laughing. Straw hat and shorts. That's funny. Now that's really funny, isn't it? Straw hat and shorts. They just stare. Well, isn't it? Isn't that funny? Think of it. That's funny. Why, why don't you laugh? Helmets POV, the SS and Gestapo men. They are really staring now. 
hard to believe their ears and eyes. I know we're not laughing, because things you hear you have to think about. I'll show you something that you'll laugh at, because you'll, you'll have to do is, all you have to do is watch. Director's Memo. Director's this a, Memo. This is from Chaplin. Uh, this, sorry, this is from <laughs> Lewis, and I say that because insert yeah. Chaplin footage. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand what the fuck that means. Helmet goes over to the bar where a little man is standing drinking his beer. Alongside the beer is a small plate of crackers and brown jam. Helmet takes a comb out of his pocket, dips it in the man's glass of beer, combs his hair down over one eye, takes a finger full of the brown jam and makes a Schicklgruber mustache from it and turns to the men, to the four men yelling, We will conquer the world! Heil me! Heil me! Heil me! He screams the last heil and collapses on the floor. The four men get up and proceed to pick him up and carry him out of the bar. As they get to the doorway and exit, we stay on Ada, who has just arrived to see them pick to yes. see them pick him up and carry him away. She is shocked. We stay on a close-up of her face showing the strain, pain, and sadness as we dissolve to pause. So basically, it's just this is just a fuck you, Ada. This is just his wife's life is awful. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. I I am I am vexed by this scene entirely. It, it's 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 just one of those where you can tell there's such a desperate need for this. I've, it, honestly, if it if it was some drunk, if he was, I don't know. I don't know how to make I mean, this scene. Not funny. even. Let's even go before the bar. Yeah. This motherfucker's married. Yeah. Yes. This sad sack, fallen, broken man. Not that broken men aren't married, of course. Right. But most of them. But are. if you're really working on just how broken and awful this guy is. Yeah. And then you show some light in his life by a beautiful woman. Yes. Who's made him dinner. Uh -huh. And apparently this loves warming it for hours oh, God, at a yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's a good German woman. Yeah, that, that uh, just doesn't... That doesn't cute. ring as doesn't anything make any, other than awful. It just seems like, why are we doing this? Yeah, why? You could why? have cut all this out and just gone to the bar. But yeah. no, you wanted a little... Yeah, you had to... It's that... Something. I think, honestly, there was some sort of attempt to humanize him. But the thing is, if they wanted to humanize him, then they should have made him nice to her when he went home. It should have been a, no, I don't have... It should have been, I'm sorry, dear, I can't provide... I'm a failure. He needs to be broken and not mean to her. The yeah. first time we see him explode should be with the whole fucking brown yes. jam mustache. Uh, it's a great word, Schicklgruber. Yeah, Schicklgruber, exactly. It's it's so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, at this point, it, it, it's it, it, it feels like they're asking us to have some sort of pathos for this guy, even though they've really gone out of their way to show that he does not deserve any of it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He does not deserve our sympathy. He does not deserve anything other than, fuck this prick, up to this point. I'm, I'm more terrified he's be taken away because of my historical knowledge of this regime and their tactics. Yeah. Rather than, oh no, yeah. this guy's being taken away by... Yeah, he's by not cops. being dragged to the fucking drunk tank. We know that no. what's what's in for him ain't, ain't so good. Right. Um, so, he, he collapses, he gets dragged out next to his fucking wife. Yes. Uh, dissolve two. Interior, Lieutenant Riker's office. Outer office, Berlin Gestapo headquarters day. We open on the shiny black boots, swinging the door open in front of him, and we pull back to see Helmet 
seated in a slumped position on the hardwood bench as we introduce the wearer of the black boots, Lieutenant Riker. He enters his office and we go with him, feathered edge set, as he walks briskly to the desk where, where there are briefs and papers stacked high on his desk. He bellows after looking at the top folder. And for some reason, I picture this guy sounding like the cop from Young Frankenstein. Sounds good to me. Steiner, get in here. <laughs> a, a frightened and spineless, spineless-like corporal springs into his office and clicks his heels and screams, Heil Hitler! Shooting that stiff arm out like, a, out like on a spring. Oh, Riker flips his wrists in, in answer to the Heil, showing complete annoyance at having had to do it. That was written as dialogue. So. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Do I see what I think I see here? The corporal leans... Okay, we're nearing a point where, where parody doesn't work on this. No. That, well, not parody, where that kind doesn't work. Okay, so we're, I'm, I'm going to step it back to not, not fucking that. <laughs> the corporal leans over the desk, and in order to see, puts his hand on the desk to brace himself. Riker smacks his arm, knocking his face flat on the desk. He stays there with his ass in the air, waiting for instruction. Riker leans down, putting his nose right to the corporal's nose. Never put your hands on my desk. Is that clear? Wacky Nazi physical humor. Mm -hmm. Still in the same position, the corporal extends his arm for a Heil Hitler, which is virtually impossible in the position he's in. Yes, sir. Move it. The corporal rises, stands stiffer than ever. Riker, picking the folder up. Now tell me, is this brief correct? Is that prisoner, the, the drunk, the one who impersonated the Fuhrer? Yes, sir, it is. Riker paces behind the desk. The corporal, still stiff at attention, waits and watches in mortal fear. <sighs> I get all the weirdos. All right, corporal. Send him in. The corporal clicks his heels, thrilled that he can go. Yes, sir. He exits and returns with helmet and one more guard. Helmet stands in the doorway, frightened and unsure. Riker, still pacing behind his desk, feels Helmet's presence. All right, come in, sit down. Helmet walks to the chair in front of Riker's desk. The spineless corporal moves towards the door, turns and takes his position on the opposite side of the door that the guard is standing at. Riker picks up the folder again, fingers through it. As he looks through the folder, he looks at Helmet and licks, looks at his... And looks and fingers, pages, and the silence and the anxiety is getting to Helmet as he sweats and waits. Riker's toying with him. And each time Riker looks up at the stick, that the sick little boy smile, uh, looks up, the sick little boy smile crosses Helmet's face, hoping to endear himself to this Prussian pig. Yes. Riker finally sits down beside his desk in a chair that resembles a throne. It is high and looks down on Helmet. Props, this chair must be higher and taller than Helmet's chair. The, for the PIV shots diminishing Helmet's seated, diminishing Helmet seated there. So it's an Andy Kaufman sketch. Yeah, yeah. Over Riker on Helmet. Are you Helmet Dork? Dork, yes, sir. Helmet Dork. I am, I am he, yes, sir. That is correct. Dork. And you are a clown in the circus. Not just a clown. I'm Helmut Dork, premier clown. I've clowned for the royal heads of many of our finest countries. Why, there were times when I had to... That was years ago. According to these papers, you are now just a helper in the circus with 
little or no importance. This stuns Helmet. His face destroyed. His face, his facade destroyed. His face drops along with his fear. Some things are only temporary, Lieutenant Riker. Only yesterday I had a call from one of the great circus owners in all of Europe. He... You are nothing. You are a has-been. You were a clown. You are now a prisoner of the state, and that is not funny. Can you make something funny out of that, clown? Helmet sinks even lower in the overstuffed chair, despair in his eyes and a weight on his heart, the truth slashing at his very being. No, Lieutenant Riker, I can't make anything funny from that. It is no thought. It is a fact, clown. Unquestionable fact. Now, down to the issue at hand. Did you willfully and with malice, attack the state and impersonate the Fuhrer. I, I was drunk. It was a mistake. I meant no disrespect, sir. Honestly, I, I was drunk and not responsible for my actions and thoughts. And my, my actions were subconscious. Subconscious? Meaning that it was motivated by the truth that comes out under the influence of alcohol. I am a loyal German. What kind of commendation would you expect for being a loyal German? I want nothing. But I am more loyal than most Germans I know. Like who? Helmet like, realizes this was the wrong thing to say, and he sweats. Uh, like... Names. Names. Uh, I don't know. Who? Uh, S sir. I, I, don't, I don't know, sir. But you said other Germans. What other Germans? Who are they? Why aren't they loyal? Who? I'm not responsible for what I say now. Why? You're not drinking. You said you weren't responsible last night because you were drunk. Are you drunk now? No, sir. Then why are you not responsible? I, I, I don't know. Sir! I don't know, sir! Why are you not responsible? Why? 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 On each attack of the word why, Riker creeps closer and closer to Helmet, really intimidating him. And the sound of his voice echoes and becomes monotone and ominous. The next two pages of the script are missing as they are in the original. That kind of sucks a little bit. Mm -hmm. The corporal gets Riker's point and marks his notebook, flips over the slips the flips the cover closed, and snaps to attention. As we now the missing pages, there's some question, but I think what happens next is gonna shine enough light on it that we're not really gonna be scratching our head as to what the statement was. I wouldn't think so. Hang on one sec. Hey. Hey, I, I can't really talk right now, buddy. Hello? Okay, I, I, we're recording. I'll call you later. Bye. It's my nephew on the phone. Oh, Uncle Jimmy. I'm like, oh, I can't. No. I'll call you. Um, we're not in deaths yeah. of... Yeah. Horrible. We're, we're, in the, we're, we're doing something awful right yeah, now, yeah. Mom. I, I, I can't talk to a adorable baby at this moment yeah. so let's see if we can fill in the gaps of what's happening here dissolve to interior railway station day ada walking as briskly as a woman can walk without running and then her walks becomes pan a panicked running looking sweating and the look on her face is evident that she is frightened and close to shock she gets to a train gate where she sees the ss men pushing men through the gate into the train she knows she is where she has to be. 
She approaches one of the SS men. Excuse me, sir. I, I wonder if you can help me. You see... No, go away. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I said go away. Ada backs away from the gate and stands to one side watching the prisoners being moved from the back of the huge truck backed up to the railway area. She is looking through the iron bars. We shoot the bars, holding the depth of field snugly so that the prisoners and the bars are in sharp focus. We make quick cuts between Ada and the prisoners exiting the huge truck. As we see the change of expression on Ada's face, we know she sees what she's been looking for. Helmut. He is walking with a slow rhythm following a group of men who look equally as broken and sad as he looks. Ada yells through the bars, Helmet! Just as she yells, the voice of an SS man drowns her out as he it drowns out her screams and yells. Move along, you swine! Move! We haven't got all day! Move! Move! One, two, three, four! His voice rings loudly in echo in the vast station, and it's as though he is timing his yells to match each stream of her, scream of hers. We see her mouth moving with no sound, with the sound of the SS man's voice coming from it. She is screaming helmet as the SS man screams, Move it! Move it! Move! Move! Hurry! Faster! Faster! Helmet and the other men push ahead faster and faster with inner cuts of Ada, tears streaming down her face, with cuts of Helmet walking with his head down, embarrassed and shattered. We move... Medium shot of Ada. We move the camera slowly towards her, peering through the bars of the huge gate. And as we move, we hear the doors of the train slamming, the whistle, and the slow start of the locomotive moving the train out of the station. By the time we get to the choker of Ada, the train is almost out of listening range. She drops her head, wipes her eyes with her handkerchief, and as we hear so, SS man, the same man who told her to go away... Now I would be glad to help you, Fraulein. Shall we start with a drink? There's a lovely little bar around the corner. During the above dialogue, we see another SS man closing and locking the gate to the train platform. She looks at this pig, then down and up as though she were examining a rare, never-seen insect, and then right into his face and softly whispers, Go away. She turns and slowly walks the long walk down the empty station corridor as we dissolve to interior their apartment night. Ada is sitting at a kitchen table. The table is empty. The light is low, and we see the picture of a lonely, heartbroken woman. She has a small bowl of soup in front of her, and the spoon in her hand is doing nothing more than swirling the soup around in the bowl. She can't eat, which is evident, and as she swirls the spoon around, we move in slowly and into the bowl of soup and hold on the spoon in the bowl as we straight cut to interior camp mess hall. Insert. Bowl of slop day. All right. All right. Take a breather here. Uh, so. It'll we... get to substantially less acty. Yes. It's, it's, yes. This is now, we are closing the door on the, the fucking theatrics. Yeah. This is now going to be a bit more of a serious for real thing. Um, Just wanted to... Get you in the world, man. right? I, I right now Ada simply seems to be there so that they could do that soup cut. Yes, that is, that is the sole literally the sole that. fucking purpose You're for going her to back be there. To that shot just to show, yeah, look at this, yeah, because there's not really up at this point there is no functional need for her to be there other than that motivational speech, which was not a hundred percent necessary. No. So, really, what she's there for is some emotional manipulation to make you feel a little more connected to this guy, even though you shouldn't. Right now, I feel a little bad for her, and I do stress little. 
don't feel real bad for because he's what's the word a dick. Yeah, I he, feel kind of bad. Yeah, I, I actually want to know more about Ada. Yeah, yeah, uh, and her life mm-hmm. and what makes her tick. Right. Rather than what makes Helmet tick. Yeah, well, because we're not even hearing what makes Helmet tick. All no, we know is... We'll, we'll find out what makes Helmet yeah, tick. Yeah, kind of. We, we kind of will. <laughs> so, yeah, this is just... This is just weak. This is fucking... Ugh. Yeah. All right. Now, just so that we're clear, we're cutting to a camp yeah. in Germany during World War II. Yes. Yeah, that... Um, as far as we can tell, this is a prison camp. Yes, as far as we can tell, it's a prison camp. And uh, there is a difference. There, uh, the, Yes, there was. There, there is a difference, yes. Uh-huh. So uh, he is part of the political stranger... Political strangers. Political prisoners uh-huh. uh, group. Yes. Uh, these tend to be nationals who had some problem with the government. So. Yes, uh-huh, who drunkenly... This is what we're dealing with. So people mm. that are interacting with him in the pages that follow yeah. are... For the most part, German. Yeah, we are not in a death camp. We are no. just in a in a prison, prison. camp. Yeah. So here we go. Soup. We remember the soup. Yeah, the soup. soup. And uh, it cuts then to slop. Yes. We see wooden spoon doing exactly what Ada was doing, just swirling the spoon around in what looks like dirty water with a carrot in it. The bowl is chopped and cracked. The spoon is old and almost white from use. The handle still retains its wooden look. As we pull back, we see Helmet is swirling the spoon in the slop. Behind him is a guard, just watching his actions. After a beat, the guard taps Helmet on the shoulder. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Sorry, tsk, tsk, tsk. Shame on you, dork. Shame. Don't you want to grow big and strong like me? Helmet knows he's in trouble and just waits indifferently for the fireworks to start. We must eat our food. Do we want Uncle to feed the little man? The guard pulls the man next to the, pulls the man next to Helmet out of his seat and practically throws him to the floor to make room for himself, to, to for himself to sit down next to Helmet, which he does. He half turns his body towards Helmet and turns Helmet around in the same fashion so that they are almost facing one another. The guard tanks this wooden spoon and fills it with the soup and proceeds to feed Helmet. He stuffs the spoonful of soup into his mouth, and Helmet takes and swallows. Then the guard takes another spoonful and makes believe he is blowing it, like a mother blows the hot soup not to burn the baby's mouth, and forces the spoon into Helmet's mouth, continuing to feed him as he puts puts the, the spoon in his mouth. And now one for Aunt Ada... As the guard uses the name Ada, Helmet bites down on the spoon and won't let go. But if looks could kill, he stares at the guard with hate. Let go, dork. Let go. It's the soup that makes us big and strong, not the spoon. Let it go. Helmet still holds it, clenched in his teeth, and the guard smacks his face full force. Helmet lets it go and holds his face, embarrassed and humiliated as any, as many, as any man would be. Now let's... Try it again. He fills the spoon and sticks it towards Helmet's mouth, but Helmet clenches his teeth, keeping his mouth shut. I said, let's try it again. He shoves the spoon into his lips as the soup dribbles down the front of Helmet's shirt. The guard uses the spoon to clean up the front of his shirt and forces the liquid he took from the shirt front into Helmet's mouth. Some of the men at the table and surrounding tables feel for Helmet. Others think it's funny. They laugh quietly. 
Oh, I know why you're unhappy. Soup without bread is terrible. The guard takes a large loaf of brown bread and rips a huge piece out of the center of the loaf and proceeds to stuff Helmet's mouth with the bread until he looks like his cheeks are eight times their normal size. Guard, isn't that better? Now take some soup. He pushes a spoonful of soup into his mouth, which is so full, nothing can get in. Consequently, the bread spills out, the soup spills out, and he is a mess. We can play this scene for plot value, but it will work comically as well. Question mark. Let's pause here. Yeah. So the mindset of this is a scene where a man is being publicly humiliated, food shoved into his mouth and made a mess by some guard who's doing it because he can, will work comically. Yeah, yeah. It's right there. Yeah, it is. It's right there. So (laughs) It's, It's a note. It has to be. So. Helmet. I've had enough, thank you. No more, please. The guard just stares at him. Please. I'm surprised at you, dork. You've been here two years now. You should have learned you should have learned that we of the Third Reich never acknowledge the weak, sniveling begging of you swine. That's all you're good for, begging, pleading, praying. You're a disgrace to the human race. That's why we of the superior race must do away with all of you. The guard turns to the other men at the table and goes into one of his mentally unbalanced tirades. And we will, we will do away with all of you, you worthless pigs with no courage, no guts. Why, if anyone did to me what I just did to you, dork, I would kill him. Turning to Helmet. Why don't you kill me, dork? Go on. Kill me. Kill me. Take the knife from the table and kill me. Helmet looks at the knife on the table, picks it up, holds it in a stabbing style, thinks about it, and we know this look. He would love to. I would kill you. But I'm getting my release any day now. And I don't want anything that would spoil my chances. Helmet digs the knife into the tabletop and buries his head in his hands, totally shook from the encounter. Your release? He begins to laugh, but hysterically. Release? <laughs> they told they told me you were funny, but I never realized just how funny you were. Release? And the hysterical laughter really echoes through the mess hall as the guard makes his way towards the exit. The men at the table slowly get up and exit the scene, as do the others at the surrounding tables, leaving Helmet just sitting there. We pull back to reveal the empty mess hall and the lonely, sad body of Helmet. As he looks around, realizing he's alone, gets up and slowly creeps out of the hall like a puppy with his tail between his legs. As we... So... We just endure a fairly horrific humiliation of this guy. Uh, that was that was fucking bad. It's and really bad. It's, it's 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 terrible. But I get that scene. Yeah. To show that despite it all, for two years he's still been talking about this release thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I don't get why this scene could be played comically. Yeah, I don't at all. There's, I don't get that note, there's, but I get why that's there. There's nothing that I see in this that is even in the remote area of funny. No, there's no funny. Yeah. We've left Planet Funny behind. Yeah, yes, we will not be returning to the comedy world. No. For the remainder of this thing. No so, matter how hard it tries. Yeah, oh, no matter how and desperately. it tries. Oh, my God, probably the most offensive scene I've ever read is coming up before too terribly long. And by the way, I think that we were audacious 
to aim this thing at two parts. Well, this is going to be a multiple. It's going to be a multiple is, one, yeah. and that's okay. Because we, we don't want to go an hour and a half more yeah. on any of these shows. I mean, excuse me, yeah. you want to go more than an hour and a half. Yeah, so that I think will be the goal. When we hit that point, we cut out. Yeah. And I just had an idea. How great would it be if we did this with a lot of unproduced fame, like J.J. Abrams' Superman script? And Great. shit like that. I think I think we might have found a new fun little project to do. If y'all like it, of course. yeah. If y'all like it. Although here's the thing: this one is gonna be the worst of them, <laughs> just because we can't. I can't stress enough. We can't really make a lot of jokes here. No, there, no, there won't be any sound drops. Yeah, yeah. It's just as much as Robert Bird <clears throat> would be oh, hilarious yes. in many parts. Oh yes, we saying barbaric. Yeah, we, I would I would be able to get my hand off the button. Oh god no. Uh and it would really we would just look bad. Yeah, so no, no. we would look as bad as Jerry. This can't no, be played this, for me. This is more just a what the fuck examination. Yeah, this is two big spotlights going yeah. right on Jerry Lewis. Exactly. Exactly. So uh so <laughs> let's go to the prison yard. Exterior, prison yard, full shot, day. There are two rows of prisoners' quarters, wooden buildings, weather-beaten, we- two buildings, weather-beaten. Each row consists of about a dozen barracks each, joined at the ends, farthest from the camera by an administration building, a two-story type making a U-shape of the compound. The entire yard is surrounded by two high-wire fences about 10 yards apart and 15 feet high. At intervals of about 25 yards in the area between the fences are guard towers, each about 18 feet above the ground, equipped with searchlights, sirens, machine guns, with three guards on duty. Along the outer fence, also about 25 yards apart, other powerful lighting equipment mounted on high poles. It is morning. Although the sun shines brightly, it doesn't in any way alter the drabness of the compound, nor does it help change the look of the men. There are about 300 men milling about, some still chewing what was their breakfast, some pulling brown bread from their shirts and exchanging bread for cigarettes or just making deals, one with another. Some sit along the barracks just trying to get some sun, others walking in circles, some talking, laughing, and even playing cards, doing whatever they can to kill time. This is where you know it's a different kind of camp. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're just hanging out. Yeah. Panned the entire camp. At completion of the long pan introducing the prison camp, we pick up the 60th Johann Keltner, formerly Anderlich, a warm, sensitive-looking, graying man, thin but with a dignity and serenity about him. He walks briskly, and we know he'd love to walk slowly and tired, but we can see he knows his attitude and conduct will help those who cannot help themselves. His face tells, tells us he is good, kind and the reason men want to live he is special and he smiles at all those he passes greets the man and is generally what man wishes he could what man wishes he could be under the same circumstances he walks into the building which we learn is the barracks interior barracks day the barracks are empty Kletner enters the huge room and looks around and sees Helmet at the other end of the barracks, just walking back and forth like a caged lion, angry, hurt, sad, generally out of sorts. He can't even hear Kletner approaching him. He finally stops at the back wall of the barracks and lays his head against the barracks wall. Helmut, not aware of Keltner in behind him. Dear God, please hear me. He hears you, my son. Helmet jumps, scared, throwing his back against the wall like a man who fears being attacked at any time. 
Here, here, easy. You can't do this to yourself. You frightened me, Johanna. I'm sorry. You have nothing to be sorry for. Fear isn't something controlled by man. We cannot be conferred with. Fear cannot be conferred with. There isn't any known there isn't any way known to mankind where a man can say to himself, I will not be afraid. Oh, uh, certainly a man can try and fight it, but faith and believing are man's only chance. You must have faith. You must. I have faith, but not always. Sometimes it eludes me. I can't remember to remember it. Ah, but that's natural. You can't expect to be perfect in what you try to do. Uh, I don't know. He starts pacing again. I heard what happened at breakfast this morning with Rothman, the guard. Helmet spins around, frightened again. Will they do something to me? What have you heard? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Don't worry about it. I just wanted you to know that I believe you handled yourself admirably. That was one time I didn't care for the laughs I was getting from some of the men. Of course you didn't. But I'm sure you know that a man laughs for two reasons. One, because something is funny, and two, because... They fear showing fear. They laughed because there but for the grace of God go I. Do you really think so? I'm certain of it. Helmet smiles and takes Johann's hand tenderly and warmly. Thank you, Johann. I always feel so much better after you talked with me. I'm glad, Helmet. I'm very glad. You know, you can always talk with me about anything. Oh, I almost forgot. Helmet puts Johann... Puts Johan around the back of the barrack, near the wall, out of sight of anyone coming in. Before breakfast this morning, I spoke to one of the guards, a very intelligent one, and he seems quite nice and friendly, too. Well, he said that the Gestapo has set up a special review board to handle cases just like mine, and he said he would get me a form, a special form, just been printed up, and I'm to fill it out. Isn't that good? Kletner looking at him like a child that believes in the boogeyman. How many times? Oh, sorry. How many times since you've been here have you filled out forms? Twenty, thirty. But this is different. This is entirely new. Helmet takes out a set of papers from his back pocket to show Kletner. See, these are made up by the Gestapo itself, and the form will go directly to Berlin to Gestapo headquarters. That's the important thing about this. The Gestapo's in on it. That's a very good sign. Isn't it a good sign? Yes, my son, it, it's a good sign. And I have to be very careful of everything. I, I have to put down on the form. The tiniest detail could make the difference, don't you agree? Helmet looks up and notices Johan is looking up towards the ceiling of the barracks, watching something. Helmet looks too. Their POV, the birds. Up and under the eaves of the barrack, just above their heads, two small birds are perched. Apparently they flew in from the outside and decided to nest there. Back to Helmet and Kletner in two shot. Isn't it strange? <laughs> They're free to go anywhere they want, and if they come here to nest. Helmet doesn't react to Kletner's dialogue, but goes back to his creased and soiled papers that he has read a thousand times before. He reads them again, and he reads... And as he reads, Kletner takes a piece of brown bread from his shirt pocket and crumbles it, and throws the crumbs up to the little birds. His POV, the birds. They scramble to chew the crumbs. As they do, shot Kletner... Watching, Kletner watching. Johan just watches, smiling at the birds. He turns to look and see if Helmet is watching too. Helmet, close, intense at scanning through the papers and totally oblivious to Kletner and the birds. Kletner, close. Watch the birds eat, Helmet. It's so cute. I'm sure I've got everything here. The important facts from the moment I was arrested, the questions from the Gestapo officer asked me. Now, 
what was his name again? I can't seem to remember what his name was. Helmut. What the devil was his name? Helmut. Oh, yes, Johanna. I'm sorry. You were saying? You're not a religious man, are you, Helmut? Well, I... Uh... Not sure I am myself anymore. Helmut, quite surprised by this remark. Yet, when I see those birds, I wonder. Were they sent here to let us know this place isn't really God-forsaken? You should have sent them, else- sent them elsewhere. They could be eaten here. Helmet goes back to studying his paper. Kletner ponders Helmet's remark, looks back up at the birds, his face full of compassion as we dissolve to... Now, this is not a bad so- scene. Honestly, if I were to put down a character in this that I don't think is awful, it would probably be Keltner. Yeah, he and, seems nice enough. Yeah, he's a decent fella. He's, you know... He's um, understanding. Yeah. Sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's heard Helmet's... Spiel. Uh, spiel about the papers a thousand times. Right. Or at least we're lead to, led to believe that. Mm-hmm. And he graciously just lets it kind yeah, of just, wash over. Yeah, let it go. Just yeah. let it happen. Sure. Of course. Uh, interior, barracks, night, dusk. Now we see the barracks completely shooting from flat on. The wooden bunks are housed in a low wooden building with eight two-tier bunks on each side. A group of men are clustered around Kletner's, Keltner's bunk. Here we meet Adolf, a large, once powerful man in his mid-thirties. Ludwig, once a fairly prosperous businessman before his politics landed him in prison, is older, and his bitterness is written all over his face. Franz is the youngest. He is a sensitive-looking 25-year-old, more than likely the rebel type of the 1930s. Helmet is in his upper bunk over Keltner, writing on an old piece of paper with a scruffy pencil, which he bites to make a point of, and wets with his tongue like any fat butcher selling liverwurst and marking the price on a brown paper bag, i.e. Brooklyn, circa 1928. That is the most wildly fucking specific reference I have ever seen to <laughs> someone using a shitty yeah. pencil. Yes. Assume we know what you're saying. We truck the camera down the long barracks... To include the other men doing their things. A couple of men are getting ready for a card game. Several others are comparing clothing, mending and helping one another. A couple play chess. A few are sleeping, but for the most part, most of the men lay in their bunks staring at the ceiling. The floors are spotless. Suffice it to say, they, they had better be. The walls have nothing hanging but a few socks drying. A torn calendar, wrong year, etc. This... Description sort of shows. I, I think this might have been about where I texted you. This movie's a little tone deaf. Yeah, and this here at this point, it's a fair description. This movie's a little tone deaf. That's a fair way to describe it at this moment. Yes, yes, it is. That is about to be the most generous term that can be applied to it. Yes, that yes, is because I believe morning's <laughs> coming up next, yeah. and holy fuck, you want to talk about not getting it? Oi. So, close, the Keltner group. Johan sits with his back to the camera at the edge of his bunk, leaving room on his bunk for Adolf, Ludwig, and Franz. He is showing something to them that we cannot see. Keltner's body covers whatever it is, and the three men are gawking at, facing camera, and they indeed are gawking with delight and admiration. Ludwig, you think we could eat it? (laughs) Not on your life. Uh, That is, I wouldn't. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll do... You want to... Yeah. I'll do Ludwig. 
Uh, you can do you. Um, let's see here. So we've got Ludwig Keltner, Franz, and Adolf. I'll take Keltner and Adolf. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I think we should eat it. Not on your life. Uh, that is, I I wouldn't. Put it somewhere so we can brighten up the place. I, I would take the I, I would take the hell out of a lot more than take a lot more than I can't speak. <laughs> it would take a hell of a lot more than that to brighten up this place. It'll be better than looking at your long face. Chuckling, Keltner rises. We boom up with him, and as his head comes over the top of the bottom bunk, he holds out the object for Helmet to see. It is a potato, a sorry-looking spud uh, that that Keltner has put in a small can of water and is beginning to sprout two sick-looking shoots. Do you see the way it's sprouting? I told you it wasn't completely rotten. That's nice, Johan. Oh, helmet, excuse me. That's nice, Johan. Do you remember when I filled out those last forms? The the date might be important. Uh, About four weeks ago, I think. Long shot. As Keltner walks away from Helmet's bunk. I'll put it up there on the window sill. I'll put it up there on the window sill. It'll get morning sun. Uh, He reaches the window and starts to reach up to place the potato on the sill. A hand shoots out, holding the hand of Keltner. Uh, you want me to take Stout Prisoner, sure. too? All right, Stout Prisoner. Think you can trust your potato so close to me, Reverend? Ludwig. The potato he trusts. It's you he doesn't trust. All the men laugh, including the Stout Prisoner, who laughs the loudest. Keltner hands the Stout Prisoner the potato, who in turn takes the same, takes the same and places it gently on the windowsill, just adjacent to his bunk. After placing it on the sill, he gestures a la a trapeze artist after making a super truck, looking for applause. Keltner pats his leg in the gesture of thank you. He starts back toward his bunk when the front door of the barracks flings open and the guard enters. Attention! The men jump, jump but quickly to their feet and stand at attention at the front of their bunks, a la inspection in the army. They are rigid and waiting to hear what's up. The guard takes a few steps into the barracks. Behind him, we see several prisoners carrying bunks waiting to enter the barracks. All the prisoners from the other side of the camp are being moved over to this side of the camp, over to the side... I can't speak. Let's start this it, Well, it's because it's written, the fucking... That's how this yeah. is written. Okay, guard. All the prisoners from the other side of the camp are being moved over to this side of the camp, over to this side of the camp. Barracks H will make room for the three additional bunks. He takes a few steps down the aisle. Guard, I want all the bunks moved over towards the far end. Get them as close together as possible. Now, get moving. Long shot. The men scramble back to their own bunks and immediately begin pulling and grumbling comments about being overcrowded as it is. The men ad lib. Gotta make room? We gotta make space. We don't have any room. For... Now, this is stupid. You! About... You down there at the end. Get those bunks right up against the wall. Close. Helmet and Keltner. As, the bunk, as bunks are moved towards the far end of the barracks, Keltner and Helmet prepare to move their bunks, the last ones on their side. Helmet and Adolf, who have already made their move, come up to Keltner and help him move his bunk. Helmet sees that Keltner has, to, ha- has help, so he decides to back off and hide in his little corner with his pencil and scrap of paper. Totally involved in his own plan and his undying fantasy about his ultimate release. Wider shot. 
the entire barracks. The guard looks down the barracks just as the men are about to finish the moving job. Guard, hurry it up. Come on, get moving. The guard turns towards the door and motions for the six prisoners to enter the barracks. They enter by pairs, each pair carrying a double-tier bunk. Their personal belongings are piled on the bunks and slung over their shoulders in sacks, barracks bags. The guard motions for the two bunks to be placed next to helmets and one on the opposite side, next to the stout prisoner. Note, this arrangement leaves space for one additional bunk right by the door. The guard motions for the stout prisoner and Herman to give the new arrivals a hand and the place with the placement of their bunks. Guard, get them close. You're all all you're you're all going to be nice and cozy in here. Yeah, like the triplets before they were born to a mother weighing ninety eight pounds. That's what I call cozy. That was stout prisoner and Herman, by the way. Ah, the guard smiles and all the men laugh. Another angle. The guard starts for the door, satisfied with the arrangement. As he gets the door open, Helmet runs over to catch him before he makes his exit. Excuse me, sir, the papers. Did they arrive yet? They'll have to wait. He exits, closing the door behind him. Helmet, with a look of despair on his face, goes back to his bunk. Medium shot, Helmet and Keltner. You'd think, since he was coming over here anyway, the least he could do was bring the papers with him. This moving men around has undoubtedly kept him very busy. Don't worry, he'll bring them. I'm sure if I asked him again, he'd really become annoyed with me. Would you remind him for me, please? Of course I will. Helmet climbs up to his bunk and goes back to his precious paperwork. As the new prisoners make up their bunks and arrange their belongings, the regulars of Barracks H, among them Adolf, Ludwig, Hermann, Franz, begin moving towards to meet them. Keltner returns to his new white-haired prisoner, whose bunk is directly next to him. I- I've seen you around the yard, but the others? White-haired man. About 30 of them got here yesterday from the prison outside of Frankfurt. First new prisoner who occupies the bunk above the white-haired prisoner. For the last three months, we've been shuttled from one camp to another. Second new prisoner. His bunk is in the lower bunk of the direct opposite side. Now they're shuffling us from one side to another. I think they're trying to lose us. Herman, do you think they're bringing in war prisoners? Ludwig, I don't know why they're sending them here. We're overcrowded as it is. Keltner, no, no, it's got to be something else. Otherwise, they would have left the bunks. Adolf, it could be possible that he's fixing up the barracks for some of his lady friends. Keltner, that many women? Herman, Reverend, we Germans are supermen. All the men break into laughter at Herman's comment and his actions, but the laughter is cut short as they hear the door open again, and they all look in that direction. Another angle, shooting over the men to the door, entering is the same guard that was just there. This time, he enters with two more prisoners carrying their bunks. One of them is Josef Galt, a burly bully-like man who knows all the tricks of survival, and Ernest Ullman, a thin little man with a face like a weasel. And they follow the guard to the barracks proper. Guard, attention. The men quickly snap to attention. The guard indicates for Galt and Ullman to put their bunk in the spare space right by the door. Galt, we might as well be outside. Do you want if to? I, take, yeah, yeah if I get pneumonia, I'll hold the government responsible. Guard, with a little luck, you'll both get pneumonia. The guard turns and moves towards the door, stops and turns to see all is well, and exits the door, closing it behind him. 
Galt sits on the lower bunk as Omen sprints up to the upper bunk and looks towards the original men, who are just standing around watching the two new fish. Then men the men sense trouble and slowly and quietly return to their own bunks. Some of the other men just stare at the two new prisoners. Omen, sitting on his bunk. Sure quiet in here. Omen, in his surveying of the barracks, spots the potato plant on the windowsill next to the stout prisoner's bunk. He jumps from his bunk and runs over towards the plant. He takes it from the windowsill and yells over to Galt. Hey, Galt, come over here and look at this. Galt, what is it? Ain't it cute? It's a goddamn posy. He and Omen burst into laughter. Looks kind of sick, doesn't it? <laughs> it's one of them potato things. Potato things. And it sure as hell is sick. Maybe we should put it out of its misery. No, we don't want to do that. We might break someone's heart. He looks around at the other prisoners. Whose little plan is this? The stout prisoner gets up from his bunk and starts to move forward and challenge Galt. But Keltner jumps from his bunk and gets to Galt first. Uh, the, the plant is mine. Galt, is it now? Tell me, precious, do you knit too? If necessary, I can. And I do. This brings a, a ripple of laughter from the others, particularly the new prisoners, who are delighted at seeing someone stand up to Galt for a change. Galt, with a sneer on his face, steps out of the aisle to face Keltner square on. Galt. What do you think of that, Omen? He knits. Omen. Now, if he could just cook. Galt and Omen laugh. They're the only ones to do so. <laughs> Can you cook, sweetheart? Keltner knows damn well he can't fight the brute, yet he realizes that if he steps down, life not only for him but for the others in the barracks will be intolerable under Galt's bully rule. During the following dialogue, Adolf France, Ludwig Hermann, and the stout prisoner easy up, ease up a little closer to Keltner and Galt. If necessary, I can cook, yes. Now, if you don't mind, I'll take that plant. He holds out his hand. Galt, wearing a deceptive smile, eyes the older man. All right, old man. You really want it? He raises his arm over his head with the plant in that hand. Go get it. Close, Keltner. He looks past Galt, Galt at Helmet, who is sitting up on his bunk. He looks at Helmet. His eyes are trying to encourage Helmet to do something, say something, do anything to show that he is on Keltner's side. Close, Helmet. He sits up on his bunk and wants nothing to do with this bully and his pranks. So he goes back to studying his papers, and he looks up again to catch Keltner's look of disappointment. And as Keltner turns away from Helmut, Helmut realizes he should do something and sh to show Keltner he indeed cares. He jumps down from his bunk and grabs Galt by the arm and turns him around. They are now face to face. Helmut, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Galt, <laughs> what? You heard me. Give him his plant back and leave him alone. He didn't bother you. And if you have to show your muscle, there's plenty of other, 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 uh, there's plenty of other guys to pick on. <laughs> You're my size. And with this, Galt's, Galt smacks Helmet a shot across his mouth that sends him spilling onto the floor, half knocked unconscious. He lays there with blood flowing from his mouth. Keltner leaves Galt and runs to the corner to see if Helmet is okay. Galt follows him. Keltner is leaning down, checking Helmet, as Galt bends down next to the two of them, still holding the plant. He's all right. That'll teach him to keep his nose out of my business. Here's your plant. 
Galt makes like he's handing the plant to Keltner, who reaches for it. As he does this, Galt slowly stands up, making Keltner reach and reach and reach. And as Keltner gets closer and closer, Galt stands to his fullest height, making it literally impossible for Keltner to get it. Franz, Ludwig, Adolf, Hermann, and the stout prisoner, more than likely provoked by helmet stand, now circle Galt. Go on, little man. Reach for it. Keltner, torn between seeing Helmet is all right and getting his plant back, tries to get it and still looks to see that Helmet isn't hurt too bad. Herman, in a low, menacing voice, give it to him. Galt looks at him with a menacing stare. You, Adolf, you heard him. Franz. Give it to him. Franz, you've had your fun. Now give it to him now. Stout prisoner closing in on Galt. Right now. Galt realizes this is no time for a showdown. With a childlike smile, grits his teeth. Sure, here's your stupid flower or whatever you called it. Keltner takes it from him. Thank you. Keltner leans down and picks Helmet up and walks him to his bunk, helps him into it, and puts the plant on his own bunk. Another angle. Foreman, Ludwig, Adolf, Franz, and Hermann stay with Galt, as does the stout prisoner. They are clustered around Galt. What's the matter with you guys? You can't take a joke? Adolf, what joke? Galt. Hell, all I was trying to do was have a little fun. Ludwig, have it with somebody else. Galt, what's so special about him? Adolf, he's the reverend. Even when they came and dragged him from his church, he kept right on preaching against them until they until they knocked him unconscious. Galt is silent for a beat. Galt, how the hell was I supposed to know that? Herman, now you know. Galt shoves his way through the five men and walks like a beaten walks beaten for a moment to his own bunk. The men disperse and waltz back to their respective bunks. Close, Galt and Ullman. Galt walks over and sits on the edge of his bunk while Ullman swings his legs back and forth from the perched position on the top bunk. Galt gives him a stare. Galt, you and your posies. That was close. Where were you when I needed you? I make love, not war. Goes giggly over what he just said. Hey, that's pretty good. I made that up. Make love, not war. I bet that would make a good slogan someday. Pause. What the hell? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is some Forrest Gump level of forehead slapping stupidity. In that scene. You just can't. Look. I don't know how many people out there, tr- you know, write as a hobby or just do it for fun or whatever or have aspirations. Everybody's tempted by little cute things that kind of yeah, effervesce in your brain. Yes, uh-huh. when you got the door closed and you're working by yourself. Uh huh. Don't do that. Don't do that ever. Don't do that. Never, ever, ever. That is a fucking mistake. That Don't. is awful. Don't do that. It's going to happen. Write it out and then throw it away. Yeah. Get it out of your system. Yes. Throw absolutely. Do not print that. No. Okay. Never. Now. Uh huh. Okay. Galt. Oh, shut up. Echoing the thoughts of everyone in the world. (laughs) And he smacks his legs up onto the bunk. Two shot, Keltner and Helmet. Keltner with a wet towel in his hand, cleaning the blood dripping out of, uh, blood dripping mouth of Helmet. That was really very nice of you, Helmet. Yeah, nice and stupid. Helmet grabs a towel and throws it to the floor and turns on his side away from Keltner. Keltner bends down, gets the towel, sits on the edge of his bunk, looks up, Wonders and ponders helmet as we dissolve to exterior barracks H night.
The door to Barracks H slowly opens, and Helmut peeks through the opening to see that all is clear. He slips out and walks along the dark, dreary alleyway towards the guard shack. He moves like a prisoner, trying to miss the spotlights in a jailbreak. Like a prisoner, trying to miss the spotlights? You don't fucking understand the movie you wrote. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Another angle. Helmet gets to the guards, but he looks into a window and sees the guard he wants. Sitting at his desk, eating off a tray that has a meal fit for a king on it, including the doilies, wine, and a steak that would satisfy six men in barracks age. Helmet looks around to be sure no one notices him and slowly slips up to the front door of the shack and knocks on the door. Come in. The meek and frightened helmet enters the shack and walks over to the guard's desk, and his eyes immediately go to the tray of food, while the guard just stares at him, somewhat shocked at his presence in the shack. What in the hell are you doing here? Who gave you permission to leave your quarters? Helmet tries to talk as the guard gets louder and louder. Are you some kind of privileged character? Helmet nods no. Then what are you doing out of the barracks? The frustration of not being able to answer, and the frustration of being hungry, and the childlike treatment Helmet is getting from this pig becomes emotionally too much as he screams. If you'll just shut your stupid mouth, maybe I can answer one of your questions. The guard looks at Helmet in disbelief, but at the same time a little delighted at his chance to show his German superiority as he slowly... (laughs) Yeah... As he, <laughs> Jesus, as he slowly gets up from behind the desk and crosses to Helmet with a sneer that would frighten Rommel. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. I have a stupid mouth. Helmet backs away towards the door, and the guard moves closer and closer to him, backing him up against the door. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to raise my voice. He bows his head in fear, as well as concern for what he might have done it is to his chances for relief. The volume of your voice is not the issue. It is what comes out of your mouth that disturbs me. Maybe you need a little lesson in respect and courtesy. He smacks Helmet across the face with his black gloves. And maybe I've been a little too soft with you. He smacks him again, harder. The glove now feels like a sword to Helmet, and his hands hang limp down by his side. You see, dork? I knew why you came in here. I knew why you left your barracks without permission. It's just that I hadn't heard you mention your release papers for so long. I'd hoped that I could hear you begging once more. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You are a sorry specimen of the human being. That is what you are. He smacks him this time with all the force he can muster. Now, I will help you to your quarters, Herr Dork, and here you will stay and pray for release papers that may or may not ever come. This makes Helmet's soul, this wakes Helmet's soul, and he becomes erect and stone-faced at the words the guards just said. This look infuriates the guard even more. He grabs Helmet by the scruff of the neck, like grabbing a wet cat to be thrown out of the house, and he opens the door, pulls Helmet back by the back of the office, out the door, down three steps and onto the ground, and pulls him like a sack of potatoes to the barracks doorway. Barracks H doorway night. Helmet is just about beaten at this point as the guard opens the door of the barracks and pulls Helmet into the doorway and his body stops on the threshold. 
shooting over the men into the doorway. The, the deep background, the sad body and figure of the man lays in the doorway as the guard kicks him in the ribs unmercifully. Now get inside where you belong and don't ever let me catch you doing anything without permission again. Helmet slowly gets up in pain and practically crawls to his bunk, having to pass all the men, almost as though he were ashamed. He gets into his bunk and tries vainly to get up to the top where he lives. Keltner helps him, and as he settles into place, Reverend, if you don't watch that idiot, we may have to get him a keeper. Close. The guard storms out the door, slamming it shut. Close. Keltner and Helmet. Keltner, leaning over the side of Helmet's bunk, whispering, as the other men go back to their respective chores and whatever they were doing when the guard stormed in. Helmet, Helmet, how could you think of doing such a thing? I begged you not to irritate him, and that I would, a and, and that I would ask him about your papers? That wasn't smart, Helmet. Not smart at all. As a matter of fact... Leave me alone, and mind your own business. Just leave me be. Keltner knows this is nothing more than Helmut's dismay and pain in his heart talking. The kind man drops down to his own bunk, just shaking his head, as if to say, how can I help him, as we dissolve to exterior barracks H day. So we're at an hour and 28. Should we save the... the okay, all right, we are saving this, the next scene for the next time because it requires way too much discussion. Way, way too, too much, much discussion. And it's a tease. See what we It is there? a tease, yeah. Yeah, we led you up here. Uh, we promise the next scene is going to make everything that's come so far make sense. Honestly, up to this point, uh, I'm going to be straightforward. It's not that bad up to this point. Up to this point, it's a little tone deaf, like I said. A little wonky. Yeah, a little wonky, a little off. It's not. It's not anything other than just not a terribly good story. I'll tell you what's most frustrating uh -huh. is all the uh, descriptions. Yes, that is a that, huge problem in that, this. That uh, really, really grinds really, my gears. It does. Well, because that's where it – like, honestly, if the descriptions were were less flippant, yeah, maybe that's I it. think that they would probably read a lot better. As they are, it's like, do, do you – fucking know what movie you're making here? Do you know what this is that you are doing? Because it genuinely does not feel like it. Um, they're baffling. Yeah. For lack of any other term, they are fucking baffling. But right now it feels like any prison yeah. kind of film. Yeah, I mean, th there is literally nothing at this point that, that stands out at all about this. It's a, just a sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, we promise in part two of this, uh, it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you really go through the looking glass with this next scene. Yeah. Yeah. The next, it genuinely does. And, and that I think is where we'll leave. What do you think we should call this episode? Uh, uh, this is the day the clown cried part one. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just sort of... A I mean, potato plant. I have no yeah, idea. It, this is one where I think it should be like, are you sure this is a good idea? Yeah. The Day the Clown Cried Part 1. Are we sure this is a good idea? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as we said, there will be no advertising, but we would like feedback on this. Check us... Yeah. Contact us. Contact us on Twitter. 
the film thugs or Facebook or email us at the film thugs at gmail.com with questions about it. Um, other than that, I think that is just about going to sum yeah. us up. So join us next time for um, part two. Part two.